This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Igeret HaTshuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Before we begin chapter 2, let's just go back for a moment to chapter 1. Basically, essentially, the Alter Rebbe is telling us that the mitzvah of Teshuvah is to resolve to change in the future. From now on, you're going to change your behavior. Nevertheless, he starts out the chapter with the Braise that discusses the three different types of atonement, which seems to tell us that the atonement is a critical aspect of Teshuvah. It is an important aspect of Teshuvah. Teshuvah is all about changing the future, going forward, from here on. But nevertheless, it's also an important part of Teshuvah is also asking atonement. But that's a detail in Teshuvah. That's not an essential that's not an essential part of Teshuvah. In other words, what if a person does not achieve atonement? Could you still do Teshuvah? And the answer is yes. The moment you think to do Teshuvah, you decide to do Teshuvah, you've fulfilled the mitzvah of Teshuvah. As in the law, in the case of marriage, when you make a condition that I'm marrying someone who's righteous. So if he does Teshuvah, the Teshuvah helps. Although he has not achieved the atonement. He hasn't returned the lost item, the, the stolen item. But the moment he has a genuine change of heart, that he's going to change his behavior going forward, it is accepted. But nevertheless, it's an important part of Teshuvah that a person should also mend the past, change the past, fix the past. But it's not conditional. Even if you don't, it's still a genuine Teshuvah. Or even if he can't. For example, in the case of someone who has relations with a married woman and gives birth to a, and she gives birth to a bastard, a mamzer, you can't achieve atonement. Because the mamzer, the bastard, is alive, is looking you in the face. He's a result of your sin. He's a walking, walking sin. Your sin is walking around. You can't run, you can't hide. It's right there. So atonement doesn't help. And nevertheless, you can do teshuva. As atonement says, that a child has to son, has to, a child has to honor his father. Even the son who was born, this bastard has to honor his father. What do you mean he has to honor his father? His father is a sinner. If his father is a sinner, then you're not obligated. You don't have the obligations. 
of honoring your parents. At least you don't have the penalties of honoring your parents. But the child isn't a sinner, right? No, but he is a result of sin. That's his being. He came into being by sin. He's, is he worse than other people or lower or something? No, he's a victim, but he's a victim. He's, he's, he is, his whole being is sin. He's born in sin. He's the ultimate victim. God cries with him, but he can't marry a Jewish woman because he's born in sin. He's the result of his father's crime of passion, his mother's father's crime of passion. Got carried away in the moment and therefore messed him up for the rest of his life. But the. He can't do Cuba. But it's not his Cuba. It's nothing he can do. But he'd become religious if he wants. He's very religious. And, uh, he, but he can marry a convert, he can marry, but he can't marry a regular Jewish woman. It's, he's the ultimate victim. God cries with him. It's all. It's most painful thing. But his being is sin. He came. He was born into this world. He is sin. He's born in. He's a product of sin. So truva doesn't help as a Talmud says. But nevertheless, this bastard has to respect his father if he did to truva. What do you mean he did truva? He just said truva doesn't help because the essence of truva is changing the future. And the moment you resolve to change the future. That you've done truva. So even in the case where truva does not help, you can't you can't atone for the past. It doesn't. It's not a condition. It doesn't stop the idea of the shuv. For example, we find similarly the mitzvah of prayer. The Rebbe points out we find similarly the mitzvah of prayer. What is the objective of prayer? The objective of prayer is your prayer should be answered. But what if your prayers are not answered? Have you fulfilled the mitzvah of prayer? Yes. The mitzvah of prayer is I should pray to Hashem. Whether my prayers are answered or not, that's a secondary thing. But that's not, that doesn't take away from the mitzvah of prayer. Even if you know that Hashem is not going to answer your prayer, you still have a mitzvah to pray. The prayer, the mitzvah of prayer is to stand before Hashem and to believe that everything... Hashem runs this world and you're praying to Hashem to fulfill all your needs. So the essence of prayer is standing before Hashem and praying. But of course prayer it includes the idea that your prayer should be answered. But even if your prayers are not answered you still fulfill the mitzvah of prayer. So the same thing is with Teshuvah. The essence of Teshuvah is changing the future. Part of it is an important part is achieving atonement for the past. But even if you don't achieve atonement in the past, nevertheless, you fulfill the mitzvah of the Shufa. Now then, the Alter Rebbe, when he quotes the B'raisa, he says that there are three different categories of atonement. If you violated the positive mitzvah, you violated the prohibition, if you violated the prohibition, that's a capital crime. And, as we discussed, there are different ways to interpret this b'raisa, the three different levels of atonement. The Marsha says that the three different levels of atonement is different. The first level of atonement is if you violate a prohibition. The second level of atonement is if you violate a prohibition. That's, that's a capital punishment, capital crime. And the third level is if you desecrate God's name. And then you need death to achieve an atonement. The first one if you violate a, pro- a positive commandment, does not count because that truva alone helps. And truva 
you need with all the atonements you need to shuvah. That's the common denominator. So that's why that's not part of the three, the three categories that are different. It's, that's how the mashal learns. But Alter Rebbe clearly spells out, no, not like that. Alter Rebbe clearly spells out that the, that the interpretation of the Talmud is the positive mitzvah, the prohibition, and the one that, that, that's a capital punishment. So the question is, why does Alter Rebbe What's the difference to us in the theme that he's discussing here? Why is it relevant? This interpretation. This interpretation of the Braisa is a more correct interpretation than the other interpretation. Why is that? And why is that relevant to our theme that we're discussing here in the Tanya? And it's actually very essential and very relevant to the whole theme of Tanya, the whole theme of Tshuva that the Alter Rebbe is developing here. Because what is the explanation, according to this? Why does the Braisa only, only count three categories? You have four categories. You have, if you violate a positive mitzvah, one. Two, if you violate a prohibition, then you need Tshuva and Yom Kippur. If you violate a prohibition, Tshuva and Yom Kippur. If it's a capital crime, then you need Shuva, Yom Kippur, and pain and suffering. And if you desecrate God's name, then you need all of the above, plus only death can achieve an atonement. So you have four categories. Why only three? Why don't we count the last one as a category? And the explanation is because Teshuvah is a mitzvah. A mitzvah is given to the living, not to the dead. The atonement that the soul achieves after death, that has to do with the soul. That doesn't have to do with the living, with mitzvot. Mitzvot, Torah, mitzvot are given to the living. Therefore, if you sin and you desecrate God's name, and which in, case, in that case, tshuva, you need tshuva, you need Yom Kippur, you need pain and suffering, and all of that is not enough. It's only death that achieves an atonement. That atonement is an atonement for the soul. It's not an atonement for the living person. You only achieve atonement after death. When your ego comes to an end, you cease to exist. Your name is memories erased. It's gone, you're gone. And therefore, your soul achieves an atonement. But that's not the mitzvah of tshuva. The mitzvah of teshuva is the obligation on the living person. So when the Braises says there are three categories of kapara, three categories, as Alter Rebbe says, what is the meaning of the word kapara? It means cleansing. Three different ways of cleansing your past, of cleaning your past, of atoning, achieving an atonement for your past. Wiping away your sin, wiping away your record clean. This, obviously we're talking about the living. This is the part of the mitzvah of teshuvah. It's an essential part of the mitzvah of teshuvah. Not only to change going forward, but also to achieve an atonement. To wipe, cleanse your, cleanse your record, wipe away the scars. But this is, a, this is part of the mitzvah of teshuvah. This is part of a mitzvah on the living. So obviously we can only be talking about the three, first three categories. Only three categories. Because only in the case of you violate a positive mitzvah. Or you violate a prohibition. Or you violate a sin. It's a capital crime. Only in those cases could you achieve an atonement while you're alive. So you can fulfill the mitzvah of teshuvah in the most complete way, in the most wholesome way. 
as a living person, as a mitzvah, as an obligation on a living person. So the fourth one, the one that doesn't even count, that's not even included, it's not a fourth category, that's a separate issue. That's to achieve an atonement for the soul, the soul after life, the soul, in order for the soul to, to be atoned for and to be able to enter into the, the, the Garden of Eden. So the soul need, needs, an, needs an atonement. So death is an atonement, but that's an atonement for the soul, that's a cleansing for the soul, but it has nothing to do with the mitzvah of the shul. Why is this so essential to us? Very nice, nice explanation. But why is this relevant to our discussion here of the mitzvah of Teshuvah? And this really gets to the essence. And Alter Rebbe starts with this. Because this really gets to the essence of what Alter Rebbe is trying to discuss. As we learned at the end of the chapter last week, at the end of the first chapter, Alter Rebbe says, not like the popular misconception of Teshuvah. The popular misconception of tshuva, that tshuva has to do with fasting, self-mortification, pain, suffering. He says, no. Nothing can be further than the truth. Tshuva is for the living. Tshuva is not to play dead. Tshuva is not about escaping from life. Because you've sinned, and therefore you're going to leave the living. Tshuva is about joining the living. It's about life. And therefore Tshuva should be done joyfully. We do find such an extreme type of Tshuva, like the Tshuva of Rabbi Lazar ben Derdaya, Rabbi Lazar ben Derdaya, who sinned, sinned with every known every classy prostitute in the world and and a comment of the most expensive prostitute he ever met got him really got to him and he did shuva he says he put his ha- he put his head between his knees between his legs and he cried until his soul expired. It was so sincere, such a sincere tshuva. And the Rebbe cried and said, a person could acquire the world to come in one moment. He did tshuva, and at that moment, he, he achieved the world to come. Despite the life that he lived, his whole entire life, was of debauchery, decadence. And yet in that moment, he had such a sincere level of tshuva until he cried, until he literally expired. Imagine how moved he was. That type of tshuva is not a tshuva for the living. That's a tshuva that leads to expiration, to death. That's not the idea of tshuva. That's what Alter said. This is a popular misconception. People think tshuva is you have to hunker down. You have to become morose. You have to become despondent and depressed and, and broken into a million pieces and become a shmata, become a, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's the popular misconception. You have to fast and you have to torture yourself and you have to misery. So that's not true. True is changing, having a change of heart. 
And yes, an essential part of truth is not only changing going forward in the future, but also cleaning up your past. But even cleaning your past is for the living, not for the dead. It's to re-engage in life, to live deeper, more intensely, richer, more profoundly. It's not about fasting and mortification. That whole notion of truth means, oh, I'm truth, I'm getting serious. And now I'm going to join the dead. Yeah. You know, you can, be, you can join the dead while you're alive. You're more dead than alive. I'm going to drop out from life. Because I can't handle life. Obviously, I can't handle life. I don't know how to deal with life. Look how badly I messed up. So let me join the dead. Spiritually speaking. Al-Tarev says, no, that's not what truth is. Truth is not about joining the dead. Truth is about joining the living, looking forward to the future, changing the future, and doing it with enthusiasm, with joy, with spirit. And even changing the past also has to be done with spirit, with energy and enthusiasm. And that's what he says, it's not about fasting and mortification. On the contrary, even when a Jew sins, the worst type of sin, you did a capital crime, capital punishment. It's not your pain and suffering that achieves an atonement. It's when you do teshuva and you fast in Yom Kippur. And God sees that your teshuva is done with love and your teshuva is done so lovingly, you will trigger a response from Hashem, a powerful response from Hashem. So Hashem will clean you personally. Hashem will bring upon you pain and suffering to clean you, to cleanse you of your past, to cleanse you of your scars and, and the damage that you've done. But that's, you're evoking a response from Hashem. It's not something that you do. It's not human. It's a divine response to a genuine and sincere teshuva. And that's, that's why we find in the prophet the idea of fasting. The idea of fasting is if you want to trigger that response. Maybe your truva is not so done out of love. Your truva is more done out of fear. You don't want to get punished. You don't want to get caught. More out of fear. And therefore, that won't trigger Hashem's response. Hashem's response is only... The heart is like a mirror. If we love Hashem, and we turn to Hashem wholeheartedly, then Hashem could respond to us. So then, this idea of fasting... Which, which can help to trigger Hashem's response. Or, he says, if you want to facilitate, to fast-forward the cleansing process of tshuva, fasting helps. Or to avoid a decree in the future. You see a decree coming on the community, a terrible event coming on the community. So the wise thing to do is take it upon yourself. You're talking about a physical decree that's going to physically harm the Jewish people will harm you, so you take it upon yourself to, you jump the gun, you say, you know what, I'll, I'll inflict them myself and I'll mortify myself. And that will substitute, and I won't need the terrible decree, I won't need, um, will alleviate the pain and suffering. So it will be a substitute for the pain and suffering. But all of this, but the idea of fast, truva has nothing to do with fasting. That's why Maimonides doesn't even mention fasting. He mentions many things. If that's forgiveness, and you have to confess, and you have to uh, uh, seek atonement. But he doesn't mention fasting. 
Because fasting has nothing to do with tshuva. That's not the idea of tshuva. And this really gets to the essence of what the Tanya is built on, based on. On the verse, in the beginning, in the opening, in the page, in the opening page. That to be Jewish is something that's very dear and near to you. That every Jew at his core and his essence is close to God, is intimate with Hashem. And therefore, true, all you have to do is turn around. In one split second, turn around. Tshuva is so easy. And according to Menachemanides, the verse actually is not talking about all of the mitzvah. That's how we interpret it. That's Rashi's interpretation. And that's the basis of the Tanya. First part of the Tanya. But there's also an interpretation. Nachmanides says that it's referring specifically to the mitzvah of Teshuvah. That to do Teshuvah is something that's very dear and near to you. So the Alter Rebbe is explaining that Teshuvah is something so easy and dear and dear to us. It's accessible. You don't have, you don't have to... You just have to turn around. For one split second. How far is east from west? Just turn around and you're there. Just reconnect. Come home to a place you never really left. Yeah. And therefore it's doable. And it's all about and doing it joyfully. And joining the living. And doing it with joy and vibrant. And It's all about life. Truva is a mitzvah that's given to the living. Not to the dead. Not to run off and escape and tune in and tune out and run off to the mountaintop and become a monk and a nun. That's not what this is about. And this is the whole emphasis of the Baal Shem Tev. Truth has to be done with joy. The Baal Shem Tev frowned on fasting. It's not, it's not, Judaism is not about suffering. It's not, that's not the Jewish approach. It's not, it's not suffering, misery. Hashem is not about misery. Hashem is not about suffering. Hashem is joyful. You want to be close to Hashem, Hashem is only found with this joy. This sadness, Hashem is not found. The prophets, before they had prophecy, they would play music to bring them in the joyful mood. Because Hashem is not found when there's sadness. It's even true, even when you're cleaning your mess and but everything is done with vigor, with passion, with enthusiasm. You rejuvenate yourself. Pun intended. You reconnect. It's done vigorously and it's vibrant and it's joyful. It's for the living. You join the living. On the contrary, it's when you do teshuva, that's when you come alive. Now you feel like a mensch. Now you feel alive. It's when you're sinning that you're dead. For all the enthusiasm that you had when you sin, that's a false enthusiasm. Yeah, you go into the discos, it's loud, it's this, but it's a false enthusiasm. There's nobody home. In shul, now that's a real enthusiasm. <laughs> it's a real passion. <laughs> the learning, the davening, the dancing, and some chastara. This is, this, is, this is real. This is life. So it's all about life. And that's what Alter Rebbe wants to establish right at the beginning, right at the outset. Truva is an atonement, yes. But an atonement for the living is part of the mitzvah. It's a mitzvah and obligation on the living. It's about life. It's not about fasting. It's not about self-mortification. It's not about misery. This is the popular mistake that people have. And if nothing can be further than the truth, my mind doesn't even mention a word of fasting in the laws of the truth. Not even a detail. It has no part. And it's interesting, he quotes Yoel. He says in the prophet Joel, 
Joel, according to the Medrash, was the son of Shmuel. He says Shmuel's children did not follow on his path. And therefore, Joel, the prophet, his whole life was dedicated to Teshuvah. That's what he says. Al Rebbe says on page 1014, and what it says in Yoel, he could have just said, and what it says in the verse, why does he have to quote Yoel? He's saying that even though Yoel, the prophet Yoel, from the, 12, from the book of Treyasar, 12 short books, even though the prophet Yoel, his whole essence was about Teshuvah, and he says, return through fasting. He explains, it has nothing to do with tshuva. That was only to avoid the decree, to avoid a terrible decree. Okay, let's start chapter 2, page 1017. Repentance, as the Alti Rebbe explained in the opening chapter, is in no way synonymous with fasting for a sin that one has committed. Repentance merely entails abandoning the sin for all time. This is so even with regard to transgressions. Those punishable by excision or by execution, whose atonement becomes complete through suffering, even in these instances the suffering is not intended to be self-inflicted through fasting, but is brought on from above. See, even those sins, with the, with the Talmud said, the third category, a sin that that's, comes with a capital punishment, and the only atonement is through pain and suffering. So he clearly explained, it doesn't mean through human, self-inflicted pain and suffering. Masochism. That's not what achieves atonement. Atonement comes from Hashem. When, the, when you've done everything you can, and you evoke a response from Hashem, a personal response that Hashem cleans, cleans us and cleanses us from our sins. So the fasting has nothing to do with it. Fasting is, some, is entirely altogether, as he explained at the end of the previous chapter. Okay, however. However, all this refers to atonement and forgiveness of the sin. The offender is pardoned completely for having violated the command of the king once he has repented fully. So, fully means because you have to shuva going forward, changing. But that's not a complete and full repentance. A complete and full repentance is not only that you change going forward, but it's also wiping away the past, cleaning the past, taking care of the past. So when are you completely forgiven that you violated the, the command of the king is when you do a complete teshuv. And for this, you don't need any fasting. Continue. No charge nor semblance of, of an accusation is mentioned against him on the day of judgment, so that he should be punished for his sin. God forbid in the world to come in his trial, there, is a, there he is completely exonerated. Right. He is forgiven. His sin is completely forgiven, both in this world and in the world to come. In the day of judgment, his sin is forgiven. Well, it's both, because even between him and other people, so after he obtains forgiveness from his fellow person that he sinned to, because Hashem can't help you, you have to 
you hurt another person's feelings, the other person has to forgive you, and genuinely forgive but in addition to hurting another person, you also violated the sin. Hitting, hurting another person is also a sin between man and God. God says, don't hurt another person. So in addition to achieving forgiveness from the other person, you also have to ask Hashem forgiveness for hurting another person. So if you've obtained forgiveness from the other person and you've obtained forgiveness from Hashem, then Hashem forgives you. So if you make a resolution from now on, you're not going to insult the other person. And you cleaned up your mess, you went and asked forgiveness from the other person. You returned the theft, you asked forgiveness, you apologized sincerely, another person wholeheartedly forgave you. Then Hashem forgives you. Your sin is, is erased from the record. It's not like in America. America is very childish. You know, even when you sin and you're punished, your record you have a stain on your record forever and ever in Judaism there's no such concept you sin you get punished and you wipe your record clean after you're punished let's say a Jew gets lashes the Torah says your brother is embarrassed once he's received his punishment you have to treat him like a brother no record stain free you're atoned for your record is clean finished you know, it's very, it's very immature, it's very puerile. We hold it over for the rest of your life. It's childish. Judaism, we don't have time for child games. Life is too real, life is too short. You messed up, fine, clean up your mess. You clean, go weiter. You don't sit and dwell, and you don't sit and... So your record is clean. It's expunged from the record. You have a clean record. Both in this world and in the world to come. But Al-Tarebi says... This is limited. Because, yes, the king has forgiven you. Your record is clean. It's erased. But, but, something is lost. What is lost? What is lost is your innocence. The trust. Your best friend hurt you. And you know, he asked forgiveness. He promised he'll never do it again. He made up for it. Cleaned his mess. And you've forgiven him, genuinely. Okay, fine. In the court of law, you're forgiven. But I'll never trust you again. You're not my best friend anymore. How can I trust you? So the relationship is lost. You haven't restored the relationship to its initial innocence. That trust has been lost. Once you lose your innocence, there's no going back. How do you go back? So yes, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm never going to bring it up again. We dealt with it. You dealt with it in a mature way. I appreciate it. You asked forgiveness. Sincerely, I wholeheartedly forgave you. From now on, I know you're never going to do it again. I know you, may, you mean it. But you know what? You're not my best friend anymore. You've lost. You've lost. So the question is, how do you restore, how do you get back to the good graces? How do you restore that innocence, that purity? How do you get back, restore that goodwill, that intangible, the goodwill, the closeness, the intimacy? Is there a way? 
Dr. Rebbe is going to say, yes. That's through fasting. This is where fasting comes in. Nothing to do with tshuva. Nothing to do with changing and going forward. Nothing even, nothing to do with changing the past and fixing the past. Fasting has nothing to do with it. Plays no role in it whatsoever. But fasting does play a role in restoring that innocence, purity, the initial relationship, that the intangible, that connection. Nonetheless, nonetheless, in order that he should be acceptable before God as beloved of Him, as before sin, so that the Creator might derive delight from his service. He would bring an Ola offering in addition to his repentance. If a Jew sinned unintentionally, you would bring a sin offering. After you brought the sin offering, you would bring a burnt offering. What's the purpose of a burnt offering? Talmud asks, what's the purpose of a sin offering? If the Jew doesn't regret what he did, then it's the, it's the offering of a wicked. Doesn't, Hashem despises it, doesn't do anything. If he did repent, so why does he need an offering? Didn't we say the first category, we learned at the beginning of chapter 1 from the Talmud, the first category of if a person, if a Jew violates a positive mitzvah, the moment you do tshuva, you're forgiven. So the Talmud says, yes, we're talking about a Jew who violated the positive mitzvah, command, a sin of omission. And he did tshuva, because if he didn't do tshuva, then the sacrifice doesn't accomplish anything. On the contrary, God despises that sacrifice. So he did tshuva. And why do you need a sacrifice? So he says, you need a sacrifice that God should, should be pleased with you. To bring you back in God's good graces. It's one thing you sin to the king, and you rebelled against the king, and then the king forgave you. And you're not going to be court-martialed, you're not going to be punished, you're forgiven, your record is wiped clean. But you're no longer part of the inner circle. The king doesn't trust you. After what you've done, I'm going to appoint you my minister. I'm going to take you inside my, my confidence. I, I lost trust in So the idea of an oiler, the idea of a sacrifice, of a burnt offering, which you bring after your atonement, with a sin offering after your atonement, then you bring a gift. It's like a gift. You bring a gift to come back into the good graces of the king. To restore that intimacy, that trust the king should trust you and bring you back in his good graces to restore that relationship to the way it was before you sinned. So that's the idea of a sacrifice. Even for transgressing an ordinary positive commandment that involves no excision or execution. Nothing to do with pain and suffering. Pain and suffering is only for those sins which are negative prohibitions and those sins which are capital crime. Here we're talking about that burnt offering is, is an atonement for a positive commandment, the sin of omission. 
which you're forgiven instantly. There's no pain involved, there's no... And yet, because you've sinned, there is something, something, some damage has been done. The trust is gone. And therefore you need, besides atonement, you need something else. Atonement is not enough. You need to enter into the graces of God, the good graces of God, to be acceptable once again, to restore the relationship to its original innocence. Otherwise, the sin hangs there. It's there. You've done it. Yes, it's forgiven. It's cleansed. It's wiped off. It's wiped away. But you're not the same. There's no going back. So to achieve the nirtaloi that you should be, Hashem should find you pleasing in His eyes. You know, it's like when you date someone, there has to be chemistry between the two. You know, on paper, everything could be perfect. Perfect match. All the qualities you're looking for, she has all the qualities he's looking for. But if there's no chemistry, it's not a marriage. It's very nice. But there's no connection. So here too, on paper, everything is forgiven. No record. It's beautiful. Not in this world. Not in the next world. God has forgiven you. And it's for real. But you know, there's no chemistry. Before you sinned, there was chemistry. There was a relationship. There was a connection. God loved you. He's pleased with you. He... And now Hashem says, okay, fine. Listen, I have nothing against you. But I'm not marrying you. <laughs> You're not mine. The trust is God. If you can do a sin like that. It's even a positive mitzvah. Even a sin of omission. You didn't read the Shema. I asked you to read the Shema. Okay, so you know what? The relationship is gone. Obviously, I don't mean that much to you. My mitzvah don't mean that much to you. Because I tell you one thing, you do something else. You don't do what I ask you to do. So, to, re- to restore, to bring that chemistry back. That closeness that we should please Hashem. We should be, Hashem should find pleasure in us. And He should find our actions pleasing. Hashem should be intimate with us. This chemistry, this you need even if you just violate the lightest sin, the positive sin. And even if you do tshuva and you forgive it instantly. It's not enough. Yes, for punishment it's enough. There's no punishment. You forgive it, 100%. But you know, it's not just about punishment. What about the relationship? It's not just about, am I going to get punished? I'm not going to get punished. That's not what my life is about. My life is about my intimacy with Hashem. That's what I yearn for. To restore that intimacy. To, to bring back that chemistry. That, that connection. Inner connection. To bring back that inner connection. That you need a sacrifice. That's why you brought the Eulah, which was pleasing to Hashem. The Eulah, it's pleasing to Hashem. It's, it's to bring back, to make the person pleasing to Hashem. Hashem should find you pleasant. I want to be with you. I want to be intimate with you. This is the purpose of the sacrifice. 
This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.